1: Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery.
2: Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks.
3: Good morning, I'm Jane Pauley, and this is a special edition of Sunday Morning. It's the Food Issue, our annual look ahead to Thanksgiving, a celebration of food, glorious food. Thankfully, this year, vaccines will allow most of us to gather around the table again. And given our growing taste for a greener diet, some of those beloved Thanksgiving side dishes are suddenly taking center stage, Leading Ben Tracy to ask, where's the beef?
2: Meat is not necessarily what's for dinner. Americans are now increasingly trading beef for vegetables. And a new crop of online foodies... Let's make some. ...is cooking up what's known as a plant-based diet.
4: You hear the word vegan or plant-based, and people just, like, oh, I don't, I don't eat that kind of food. I'm like, you ain't never ate a potato?
2: Later on Sunday morning, a hearty <laughs> serving okay, of veggies.
3: A new movie takes on a Thanksgiving staple, the family drama that can unfold around the holiday table. Tracy Smith is Talking Turkey with the all-star cast. For most of us, it just wouldn't be Thanksgiving
5: without a little family drama. Coming up, here we go. And a new movie serves it all up. (laughs) A family dinner with this family.
6: (laughs) Coming up up on Sunday morning.
5: morning. Coming up on (laughs) Sunday morning. (laughs) (laughs) morning.
6: (laughs) That was
3: it. (laughs) Once upon a time, a cafeteria called the Automat seemed like the face of the future. Moraka takes us back.
7: Let's have another cup of coffee.
3: There's a reason the
2: Automat is celebrated in song. It was the creme de la creme of cafeterias.
3: We could just see something and say, oh, I think that pie looks fabulous. And you just go and pick out a pie.
2: A slice of the past, ahead on Sunday morning.
3: It's a top-rated song, a dance, and just about everywhere. Lee Cowan has the tale behind the tune.
8: Yeah, we fancy like Applebee's on a day
2: night. Some call it the Applebee's song. But it wasn't written as a jingle. It was a heartfelt country lyric. That's exactly who we are. We're very simple. That's fancy for us. The man behind Fancy Like whetted our appetite
3: for
9: more.
2: Ahead on Sunday morning.
3: It's a little early for happy hour. But the drinks Califasane will tell us about might bring a smile to your face. Cheers.
10: Blame It on the Alcohol was a hit for T-Pain, the Grammy-winning singer. So perhaps it's no surprise he knows how to mix some unusual cocktails.
8: If you can make a drink with ice cream, I encourage it. Like a grown-up milkshake. It is a grown-up milkshake.
3: Later on Sunday morning, happy hour. Plus, Luke Burbank... All dressed up, Jonathan Vigliotti explains why all bottled water isn't the same. Coffee with Jim Axelrod and more. It's time for us to eat, drink and be merry. And we'll be back after this. The Thanksgiving turkey is, as American as well, apple pie. But Ben Tracy reports that a growing number of us are passing on the meat and saying, please, pass the vegetables.
2: Did you ever think you'd be making jackfruit tacos (laughs) for your lunch?
4: Absolutely not. Four years ago, I didn't think I would have been vegan. Who knew?
2: If you were looking (laughs) for someone to spread the gospel of plant-based eating,
4: ain't that something how life can change?
2: Tabitha Brown... Would have been an unlikely messenger. What was the kind of food that you grew up
4: on? <laughs> I grew up on everything. I'm never from North Carolina. I <laughs> I done ate a little bit of things I should not have eaten a lot of fried food, a lot of pork and beef, chicken, of course.
2: So, what did you think of vegans?
4: I honestly thought that's for white people, particularly white women who do yoga and maybe they're in a cult. <laughs> That's what Tab thought. It's just a way of thinking.
2: Tabitha Brown now believes giving up all animal products and going vegan herself is what finally ended her bouts of chronic pain and fatigue.
4: Hello there.
2: But she never could have imagined... What would also happen?
4: And boy, did things happen. I could have never dreamt this or thought of this. Let's make some.
2: She took her daughter's advice and started posting videos on TikTok. Ooh, baby. A healthy mix of what to eat.
4: I'm about to make carrot bacon.
2: Seasoned with a dash of how to live.
4: Even if you can't have a good one, don't you dare go messing up nobody else's head.
2: The videos have racked up millions of views. She now has a best-selling book, Feeding the Soul, and several corporate partnerships.
4: My goal is not to judge anyone or force my lifestyle on anyone. My goal is simply to share what it did for me. And representation matters, right? So now when people think of vegan, they also think of a black woman with afro, Okay.
2: (laughs) Just 5% of U.S. households are vegan or vegetarian. But these days, there are plenty you might call plant curious. Many omnivores are now swapping out some meat for vegetables.
4: Make you dance a day.
2: In a diet <laughs> often called plant-based. That's really good. Or even It doesn't taste like fruit at all. Flexitarian.
5: Plant-based eating is a huge trend.
2: Marie Moldy is a food trends analyst at Data Essential. She says about 25% of Americans now eat a flexitarian diet, and that plant-based is one of the fastest growing terms on restaurant menus, up nearly 3000% in just the past four years. A lot of that is thanks to plant-based meat alternatives. Beyond and Impossible Burgers have proven it's possible to make plants taste like meat. Innovation now spreading throughout the supermarket.
5: Name any animal protein or animal product and now there's a plant-based alternative.
2: 71% of consumers have tried a plant-based meat and more than half say they're willing to pay more for it.
5: There really are two major reasons why people are turning to plant-based foods. The first is health. And the second reason, and this is a major one, is that plant-based eating is THOUGHT TO BE BETTER FOR OUR PLANET AND BETTER FOR THE ENVIRONMENT.
2: GLOBAL FOOD PRODUCTION PRODUCES A THIRD OF ALL HUMAN-CAUSED GREENHOUSE GAS EMISSIONS CONTRIBUTING TO CLIMATE CHANGE. AND RAISING ANIMALS FOR FOOD, ESPECIALLY COWS, ACCOUNTS FOR NEARLY TWICE AS MUCH PLANET WARMING EMISSIONS AS PLANT-BASED FOODS.
11: NO ONE WANTS TO BE TOLD WHAT NOT TO DO. THEY WANT TO BE GIVEN A
2: SOLUTION. Ross Mackay is the co-founder and CEO of Daring Foods, a company creating plant-based chicken products headquartered in California, far from Mackay's native Scotland.
11: They kicked me out when I stopped eating Scotch beef.
2: <laughs> I, I gave up eating red meat, but I still eat a ton of chicken. Yeah. Are you trying to convert people from real chicken to this? Our mission is, of course, to rethink chicken from the food system. How do we do that? We go after the chicken lover. It's to go after you. The average American eats about 100 pounds of chicken every year. That's 8 billion chickens, mostly raised in large factory farms. Daring's chicken product is made from soy protein. This sounds ridiculous to say, but tastes like chicken. And designed to replicate the texture of the real thing. That really does have the same texture and taste as chicken. This is almost like skin. Daring launched its first product into the already crowded alternative chicken market less than two years ago. It's now in more than 6,000 retail stores. So what is the chicken product you feel like you need to come up with to really disrupt this market?
11: The chicken cutlet is very much the holy grail of chicken. From an innovation perspective, it's the toughest to go after. But we're at the first innings of, of, of this. We're barely just getting started.
2: But Ron Neusbacher wonders, what if we just simply enjoyed Classic eating our
10: vegetables? People want real food. And real food should just be be real food and not pretend to be something that it's not.
2: He's the founder of Shuk, a chain of Israeli street food restaurants in Washington D.C., where the food, including their famous Shuk burger, is proudly plant-forward.
10: If so the objective is to reconnecting people with the plant world and eating more vegetables and grains and seeds, then why go through all this effort to hide it as something different? Our philosophy is to do exactly the opposite: is to actually demonstrate to people experientially that the cauliflower can taste amazing.
2: Neusbacher says protecting the planet for future generations is his motivation to put plants at the center of our plates.
10: I have two young kids, and unlike Elon Musk, I don't want my kids or my future grandkids growing up on Mars because we destroyed this planet. There's a misconception that the solution to climate change is buying a Tesla. The solution to climate change starts with reducing the amount of meat that we eat and eating more vegetables.
3: Serena Altschul has the story of a website delivering on two fronts, food from near and far and salvation for struggling restaurants hurt by the pandemic.
5: Vineros is one of the oldest bakeries in New York City, first opening its doors in 1894. But when the pandemic hit last year, owner Robert Cerulli had to find a new recipe for success.
6: Goldbelly has saved us, I would say, because I'm going to plan on doubling my orders now. Isn't You're going that amazing?
5: To double, double your orders yeah. because of Goldbelly. Yep, exactly. Goldbelly takes regional cuisine national. Through its website, customers can order from anywhere in the country. Food is packed on site at restaurants and shipped directly to doorsteps.
7: Our mission at the end of the day is to bring people comfort through food,
5: whatever they dream of, wherever they are. Joe Ariel is Goldbelly's CEO and founder. What will I see on the website? The most iconic
7: American foods. Right. Key lime pie from the Florida Keys. Wow. San Francisco Sourdough. Yeah. And then there's the top chefs. Everybody from Daniel Balud to Danny Meyer's restaurants. Everything can be shipped. You just figure out the science behind how it's going to be broken down. Is it a kit? Is it something that's fully prepared? Is it something that needs to be frozen and reheated?
5: Philly cheesesteaks, for example, like these from Pat's King of Steaks, are assembled, frozen, and then shipped overnight. Some of the things can be quite expensive. We're not the cheapest. We're focused on the most magical
7: food experiences, the things that people dream of.
5: Ariel founded the company in 2013, but things really began to heat up during the pandemic. Since March 2020, the number of restaurants shipping with Goldbelly jumped from a few hundred to nearly 1,000.
11: We're very passionate about Goldbelly. They were a game changer during the pandemic. We were able to hire people when everybody else was laying people off.
5: Looking back, was it one of your best years? It really was. Brothers Christopher and Dominic Bartolini own Bartolinis outside of Chicago. Goldbelly helped them cook up a way to ship their signature pizza and meatballs.
11: Pepperoni. Why one pepperoni? That way the pepperoni's underneath the cheese is Chicago oh, style, <laughs> not New York <laughs> style.
5: Of course, Goldbelly hasn't been the only delivery service restaurants relied on during the pandemic but at a time when restaurant owners and goers face numerous obstacles goldbelly ensures geography is not one of them that's part of our magic
7: any food anywhere anytime
3: Water, and then there's water. Jonathan Vigliotti catches up with a man who can tell the difference.
12: Like, there's so many amazing different varieties of water.
13: Before you write off what's happening inside this swanky West Hollywood hotel, as so LA, that's a natural carbonated water. There's something you should know about Martin Risa. His palate is considered so extraordinary, the U.S. government gave the German native the rare so-called Einstein visa to share his skill with Americans.
12: Water without flavor does not exist, in my opinion. Every water has a taste profile.
13: Risa is America's first certified water sommelier and one of around only 250 in the world, Like wine sommeliers, Riesa studies the unique, albeit subtle, flavors of bottled water.
12: Water from the Fiji Islands tastes differently than a water harvested in the Black Forest in Germany. And water is the universal solvent. It will leach out different minerals created by nature. So this minerality is actually the taste.
13: So you're tasting the landscape? Yes, Reese's
12: sixth sense for filtered spring
13: water has made him the butt of jokes at late-night talk show tables. It's water.
12: Great. I actually like people who are saying this is crazy and this is bogus because there's a chance for me to touch them on a different level, to say, wait a minute, give me the chance to explain that water is not just water.
13: Risa designs water-tasting menus for restaurants, which feature familiar and lesser-known brands that he pairs with seasonal foods.
12: The refreshments of the fruit complexity suddenly like pops in your mouth. Like Fiji water with a Thanksgiving turkey. Because a lot of people always say, like, but Martin, Fiji water, really? It's so accessible, you can find it everywhere. I think it's very unique due to the very interesting mineral composition.
13: Or a sparkling spring water from Idaho with a
12: holiday ham. So I think some carbonation would be fun, to cut through the richness.
13: Reza's water recommendations range in price from a few dollars to a few hundred, like this bottle of glacier water. The only bottles he refuses to touch are those labeled
12: as purified or distilled. These brands are actually nothing else than highly processed filter tap water. For me as a sommelier, why should I drink that? That's creating a lab. I don't care about that. I want taste nature. Then we had three ways. And it's that thirst for nature that has some spending seventy-five
13: bucks to attend Risa's water tastings. Did you ask anybody? Hey, you want to come to a water tasting with me? Yeah, I I did, and they they kind of looked at me like,
1: "Uh, "We'll
13: drink our our water at home." I was like, "All right, suit yourself, suit yourself." Not lost on anyone is the privilege of it all. Globally, one in four people does not have access to safe drinking water.
12: So let's face the bigger picture here. It's not for me just drinking bottled water and be fancy in a nice restaurant in Beverly Hills. I want to bring awareness to water. Let's rethink and let's be thankful that we have clean and safe drinking water on a daily basis, accessible to us.
13: So it's not just about taste, it's about
12: opening people's eyes. Yes, absolutely.
3: We sent our Jim Axelrod in search of the perfect cup of coffee, and he found it in the back of a New York City bodega.
6: In the shadow of the Manhattan Bridge in Brooklyn, College Sharafi is restocking his supply of Colombian beans for the coffee bar inside the grocery store he runs with his cousin, Omar Haimed. One black, Small. one cream sugar. What? You guys have lots of people coming in here, right? right. To the coffee bar, yeah. right up at the front. Yeah. And they're drinking Colombian, right? Yeah.
12: Yes. <laughs> that coffee.
6: But when it comes to filling their own cups, forget the coffee bar. No, we have secret place. A secret place, <laughs> a secret place.
11: <laughs> <The> speakeasy. <laughs> a coffee speakeasy.
6: Yeah. yeah. And in their back room, coffee speakeasy, where they brew it old school. You can forget the Colombian beans as well. What do you drink in the back room? Yemeni coffee. Omar and Khalid are from Yemen, which is also home, they say, to the world's best coffee.
8: Yeah, Yemen coffee
6: is the grandfather of all coffees. How old is the tradition of coffee drinking in Yemen? So the coffee starts in the middle of 14th century. Ibrahim al-Hasbani, is an eighth-generation Yemeni coffee merchant. Low acid, low acid. so it's, it's not going to bother your stomach. doesn't have f and there's a natural sweetness. Yes. Do you think that is because of the soil or the sun or the kind of water all of this,' is mixed in, makes the Yemeni coffee special. He estimates there are as many as 5,000 Yemeni-owned bodegas in New York City. Just about everyone with a back
12: room where they
6: keep the good stuff. So, if I walked into their bodega and said, Can I get a cup of Yemeni coffee? What would they say?
12: To sell Yemeni coffee? No, they said, Well, you don't have. But if you're a friend with them, maybe they're going to give from the back.
6: Take the bodega Monif Siad runs in East Harlem. How you, doing? you order your coffee? Where? Sure enough. She wants black iced coffee. This is for you, right? It's Colombian up front. But in the back, this is all Yemeni coffee. It's all Yemeni coffee. Ziad keeps half a dozen different varieties in his back room, brought by friends and family visiting from Yemen. Some more coarsely ground, others not as dark. One so mellow it doesn't need milk, another so strong it'll knock your socks off. Like, you know, instead of to do double shot from Starbucks or from uh, Dunkin' Donuts, you just use one shot from this. No sugar, no milk. There's no sugar, no milk. Just black. Just straight black. Black. So if the Yemeni coffee is top shelf. Oh, it's different. That's off the charts. Yeah. Yeah. Why not sell it up front? A civil war, drought, and spiking shipping costs have sent Yemeni coffee prices soaring. Particularly problematic for Ahasbani one of the few to try taking it from the back room to the front counter, opening up Kawa House, a chain of Yemeni coffee shops. What's it cost for you to bring in a shipment of Yemeni coffee beans? The last shipment cost me around $400,000. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Your last shipment of Yemeni coffee cost you $400,000? Yes. If you were to get the same shipment, same size, of Colombian beans... What would that cost you? $60,000. I don't want 60000 Which is why, for the most part, Yemeni coffee is not for the poor and go crowd. All right, three-fifty. And so, for now, just about every Yemeni selling coffee will keep stocking the Colombian up front to make a better living and continue to drink the good stuff in the back to make a better life. It's legit. Isn't that daily basis coffee? For now. But for you, is it? Yes.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's a small Mexican restaurant in a small California city. But Lily Luciano tells us its legacy can be found across the country and around the world.
9: Along Old Route 66 in San Bernardino, California, sits one extraordinary family kitchen.
11: I remember it almost as an extension of my grandmother's kitchen or my grandmother's house. This is it, right here. This is exactly (laughs) how it's been done here since 1937.
9: Mike Montano is the co-owner of Meat La Cafe, opened by his grandmother, Doña Lucia Rodriguez, in 1937.
11: It's where I would see her most frequently. It's where I saw family most frequently. Um, and to me, it was not a restaurant. It was not a business. It was it was just part of what made my family who they were.
9: After immigrating from her native Mexico in 1928, Rodriguez opened Mitla Cafe to quite literally feed her family and her growing neighborhood.
3: It was like during the Depression, so she knew what it was like to be hungry, and she told my mother the reason that she was. Opening up the restaurant is because she didn't want any of her family members to go hungry.
9: Patio Kendo is also one of her grandkids and the general manager.
3: What is this place like now? Who comes in here? It's like generational customers. Sons and daughters of people that used to come here. We
6: come like every other Sunday. We come down after we get out of church.
9: What's the tradition with uh, having menudo on Sundays? Hangover. <laughs> enter through these old doors and the lines that divide us disappear almost as fast as their famous chile relleno on a hot plate
13: state senators congressmen everyone comes here
9: a it's place there. to be seen
13: it's a place <laughs> to <be seen. laughs>
9: and montaño says one particular customer in the 1950s got more than just the tacos to go
11: the uh, legend as i know it um Across the street was a a burger stand called Bell's Burgers. And the owner, Glenn Bell, saw that uh, my grandparents had a line to purchase tacos. At the time, I think they were 25 cents each. Um, And he wanted to understand this food item and why people liked it so much and why it was so popular. Uh, My grandparents kind of understood what he was doing, and they wanted to help him.
9: And so Glenn Bell, armed with Doña Lucia's beloved hard shell taco recipe, launched Taco Bell. What does the family say about that?
11: Everybody's been fairly philosophical. Um, I don't want people to feel like they weren't successful or that they were uh, taken advantage of or anything like that.
9: The generosity rippled beyond the treasures of the kitchen. Through the years, Mitla served as a gathering spot for community organizing, even earning its place in the history of the fight for civil rights.
11: One of the most important stories that I know about was the meeting of different community organizations um, that helped to desegregate public swimming pools in San Bernardino. There were days of the week that Mexican kids, kids of Mexican descent, could not swim in the local swimming pools.
9: Those meetings led to a court case and decision which desegregated all California parks and pools, a precursor for Brown versus Board of Ed.
11: That was the importance that they placed on this, this restaurant was that it was not just a place to serve food, but it was a place for people to meet, to talk, to share ideas, and to, to move our community forward.
9: What's going on here?
11: This is it's our own ranchero chili verde sauce that we make here.
9: Despite Meatless' reputation for generosity, there is one thing they won't share.
11: And this is the secret one that goes on the tacos or any of our other dishes. The recipe for their taco sauce. Our most secret recipe, there are three people right now who can make it, including myself. And we try not to ride in a car together. <laughs>
9: <laughs> For everything else, the door stays open, the tortillas are served fresh, and the welcome warm as ever.
11: It's always been about having the same spirit that my grandmother instilled in this place in 1937. We'll come to my home, share a meal, and we'll see you next time.
3: What happens to sad, misshapen fruits and vegetables? They get delivered, as Serena Altschul explains. Just
5: south of San Francisco, in the shadow of the Santa Cruz Mountains, harvesting is underway at Lakeside Organic Gardens.
7: We grow over 42 different commodities.
5: Juan Gonzalez is the farm's operations manager.
7: Cauliflower, broccoli, rutabagas, turnips, parsnips, you name it, we probably grow it.
5: Yet about 20% of what's grown here will never make it to grocery store shelves.
7: As humans, we like pretty things, so when something's not cosmetically appealing, it gets left behind in the field.
5: That's because most stores won't sell produce with noticeable imperfections.
7: I visited a handful of farms and realized how much waste happened at the farm level. Perfectly fine-looking apples being thrown away just because they're, they were too small or, you know, they had like slight discoloration.
5: Those misfit apples served as seeds for misfits Market. A delivery service bringing previously unwanted produce, along with pantry items, directly to your doorstep. Abhi Ramesh is the company's CEO and founder. What's the difference between ugly produce and rotten produce?
7: A misfit piece of produce could be too small, could be too large, it could be some other aesthetic difference you know it's shaped a little bit funky it could be surplus or excess so a lot of times farms will have an overabundance of a certain piece of produce
5: but not rotten
7: definitely not spoiled or close to spoiled or anything like that
5: to date misfits market has rescued more than 225 million pounds of produce and they aren't alone a handful of other companies like imperfect foods have sprouted up as well And it has more than just customers seeing green. Just ask Juan Gonzalez.
7: Now that Misfits is helping the farmer get more food on people's table, production's up, our yield is up, everything's just a win-win.
3: Luke Burbank's got a story that gives new meaning to the expression, dressed for success.
9: Amazing place, Hidden
7: Valley. If you turned on the TV in the 1980s or 90s, there was one place where the hills were always green, and life seemed a little simpler. Here in Hidden Valley, freshness is a way of life. Ah, yes. Hidden Valley Ranch, America's first and most popular ranch salad dressing. So squeeze on the Hidden Valley Ranch. And it turns out, Hidden Valley Ranch was an actual place albeit a very different-looking one from the bottles, in the mountains outside of Santa Barbara. Hidden Valley was chaparral. It was wild California. This is the ranch. Alan Barker remembers the ranch and its owner, Steve Henson, well. Steve had an artistic truth in the sense that he told people what they wanted to hear. A fast-talking plumber who made it big in Alaska, Henson had a bigger dream of owning a ranch, which he knew he would call Hidden Valley. There was a bear rug in front of a fireplace. He had, I don't know how many tales about how he had killed this bear in Alaska. The truth of the matter was he found the bear rug at the county dump. As a teen, Barker lived with the Henson family and worked at the so-called ranch. I wouldn't call it a ranch in reality. There were no animals, there were no crops, you know. It was a motel in the mountains. A motel that didn't have all that many customers. But what it did have was Steve Henson's homemade salad dressing, which he called Ranch. He was trying to make a low-calorie substitute for blue cheese. From my memory, it was buttermilk, Miracle Whip, some spices, and I think some chopped-up shallots. And then the ingredient that was kept secret pure MSG. Hidden Valley ultimately failed as a motel, but exploded as a mail order mix-your-own-salad-dressing business, which the Henson sold to Clorox in 1972. When you're tasting prototypes of ranch, there is a threshold. After about six, seven, eight prototypes, you really have to kind of take a break. There's our pan. Laurie Wellborn, a Brit who never even tried the stuff until adulthood, is in charge of how it all tastes. He's the head of R&D for HVR, as it's called by people in the know. It is a dip, and it is a dressing. This is a thing, it's versatile. It's also a, something you can cook with. We've even seen our superfans bathing in Hidden Valley Ranch at times. These days, over on TikTok, ranch dressing is less of a salad dressing and more of a personality type. <laughs> In fact, Wellborn claims that ranch now outsells ketchup in America. Quite the accomplishment for a salad dressing invented by a plumber at a failed motel with a made-up name.
3: Cocktails, anyone? We join Kelifasane at the bar.
7: Okay.
10: I'm sitting at a bar, and T-Pain is my bartender. You got it, see? He made us drinks, we drunk him, we drank him. Drinks, drinks, drunk, drunk. There it is. The Grammy-winning performer T-Pain has made big hits, like Bartender.
8: I'm just keeping ready, yeah.
10: And Blame It On The Alcohol. But he's best known for helping to popularize a vocal processing technology called auto
8: it turned into a full genre of music. You couldn't turn on a radio station without hearing a T Pain station. It's everywhere. It's in cartoons, commercials. It's everywhere. that guacamole.
10: Some people hated the effect. But for T Pain, who was born Fahim Rashid
8: Najim in northern Florida, autotune meant freedom. I've always wanted to sing from the beginning, but in Tallahassee you were seen as soft. Or you were singing as like not a man. Oh, won't you stay with me?
10: As fans of the celebrity singing competition, The Masked Singer, already know, T Payne, even dressed as a fuzzy Cyclops, can actually
8: sing. T-Pain! Were you obsessed with music as a kid? I was obsessed with The idea that music made my dad happy. One day, an Army commercial came on and I harmonized with it. And he was like, how'd you know how to do that? And ever since I saw his eyes light up from that, that's all I've been doing is just trying to find new ways to impress my dad.
10: (laughs) His latest effort is a book about cocktails.
8: I know when I'm the most happy. (laughs) When I'm drinking, let's do that. Let's just do a
10: drink book. How does a book release Compared to an album release.
8: It is different. It, <laughs> it is so different. I remember going to Barnes & Noble as a kid right. and just never thinking that. I'm going to have a book in here one day. <laughs> it's not a realistic dream of mine. But, you know, book signings, like I never do like album signings. You mentioned that when you're drinking, you don't like
10: listening to hip-hop or r and B.
8: I don't. I'd rather no lyrics.
10: So you want people to open up this T-Pain book, maybe turn off the T-Pain music, put on some smooth piano music or something, um, enjoy one of your cocktails. Oh, jazz is
8: the best with this entire
10: book. <laughs> the book, written with mixologist Maxwell Britton, contains recipes that are complicated. There's a drink in here called Soul on Fire, where you have to make cinnamon syrup, Mm -hmm. which is a 48 hour long process that requires routine stirring. I mean, this is a big project for a cocktail. Yeah, you gotta
8: really want these drinks.
10: (laughs) (laughs) What are you gonna make me?
8: I'm gonna make you a five
10: o'clock. It's named after one of T-Pain's hit singles.
8: It's five o'clock in the morning, morning. conversation got boring. This involves ice cream. Ice cream?
10: Are you a fan of beer? I'm a big fan of beer. I'll be honest with you, I usually consume beer and ice cream separately. But nope! <laughs> We're going to do it all together. Add to the beer and ice cream some bourbon and a cinnamon schnapps called Goldschlager. This looks like a science experiment. It
8: kind of is, man.
10: And you'll have a five o'clock, the way T-Pain likes it.
8: This whole drink is just an excuse to eat ice cream. Like a grown-up milkshake. It is a grown-up milkshake. The
10: recipe calls for toppings, at least according to his book.
8: You're supposed to top this off with of whipped cream? Yeah. I freaking hate whipped cream. What?
10: <laughs> I'll take a little bit of whipped cream. You
8: know what? I will give you a little bit of whipped Don't cream. Don't
10: go crazy. Too late. There we go.
8: There we go. All right. I have some gold flick here for you. Just a little flick. No, 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 no,
10: Surprisingly, <laughs> it's kind of a brown sugar thing. <laughs> the roastiness of the stout. Mm-hmm. It's mixing with some of the cinnamon flavor from the gold slogan.
8: Absolutely.
10: Get the richness from the ice cream. Cheers. Cheers.
8: Mm-mm, mm-mm. Beer
10: and ice cream together at last. Together at last.
3: <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning.
6: If
0: you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.